Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Looking for something to do after Halloween is over? Are you into the strange, bizarre, and unusual? On November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the Strange Realities Conference is coming back to Nashville, Tennessee and streaming online. Come join us for three days exploring mysteries, supernatural, the occult, weird history, and more. Featuring lectures, presentations, and workshops by Tim Banal, Zach Hunt, Shelslin Vance, Bryn Collier, Tobias Whalen, Brent Raines, Joshua Cutchin, Kiki Dombrowski, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Christopher Ernst, Aaron Gullius, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Mallory Samwitzki, Soraya Azkap, and special guest Steve Berg as your Master of Ceremonies. Make sure to join us for the fun and informative weekend online and at SIR Nashville November 3rd and 4th and online only November 5th. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Okay, man, that that is still really, really intense. And I noticed that like it just takes over and it just like mutes everybody's mics. That's 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 amazing. So welcome back, everybody. This is an episode, a live episode of Conspiranormal for the right. people that are watching it right now. On we don't do YouTube. that often. Yeah, we do not. But uh, the reason that we do live episodes sometimes is because we are gearing up for Strange Realities 2023 coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee and online November 3rd and the 4th and online only November 5th. I'll be saying that ad infinitum and you will be sick of hearing it by the time <laughs> this is over. But uh, welcome, everybody. 
and uh, we we like to do this whenever we gear up for Strange Realities. Uh, get everybody hyped up for it. Get everybody to like excited about it, and um, that it is an awesome event and we have some awesome speakers and we like to introduce them to you. And we have tonight two veterans of strange realities and one new speaker that is going to be speaking this year, strange realities. So I would like to welcome to the show. Uh, well back, everybody's coming back cause they've been on the show before Mallory Sawinski. Hello. Hello, Mallory. <laughs> And uh, Nathan Isaac is here. Hey, guys. What's, What's up? up, Nathan? And, of course, if you guys don't know who this is, Ren Collier. <laughs> hey, everyone. And a very essential part of making strange realities happen every yeah. year. Oh, yes. Uh, Ren is very essential because Ren is... Also, not only is he a speaker, but he doubles as a tech person for us. And how that kind of happened was when we did the first um, we did the first online only conference back in 2020. Ren wasn't supposed to be doing that with us, but uh, we had some mishaps, so Ren just kind of took over a certain part of the certain part of that for us. And ever since then, Ren's been part of the tech team. So he pulls some serious double duty during Strange Realities Conference. And so, yeah. So tonight, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what the three of you are going to be talking about on Strange Realities, uh, what you're going to be presenting. And we could talk about a few other things because I'm sure it's been... It's been kind of a while since we really talked to Nathan. It's been yeah, about a year. You know he's into something. Yeah, yeah. A little bit since we talked to Ren too. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, well, welcome back, guys. Um, I guess that we will start with you, Mallory. Let's start with you. Uh, what you're going to be presenting at Strange Reality? First time Strange Realities presenter. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, like dramatic music <laughs> to put in. Um, so, hey, if you don't know me, you probably don't. Uh, my name is Mallory Swinsky. I am a wife, a mom, and a paranormal investigator. And um, I have written well several books by now, but I'm an author. And my first book, um, Making Friends with Ghosts, uh, kind of covered how starting paranormal investigating really saved me from postpartum depression. Um, I really, was really struggling when my children were young and I really needed to feel like myself again. And of all things I started, I dove really deep into my interest in the paranormal and I started investigating and I had some of the craziest experiences that I never thought I would have. Um, and they just kept happening and happening. And I just, I felt my stories bubbling up and I decided to write a book about it. And when I wrote that book, I realized my passion for writing. So I started writing fiction. So I, now I just don't stop. And I just co-founded my own publishing company. We just had um, a dark fiction anthology come out um, we're in the top 10 new releases across several categories. 
We just launched um, kind of a spicier side of fiction to our imprint, and we already have um, some new authors signed up. And my next book comes out on November 27th. So all that to say, my presentation at Strange Realities will kind of focus on, you know, flying your freak flag and what fully embracing your weird side can bring you because I've come so far and just following that thread of wherever my passion led me. And I, I mean, I went from the, as dark as you can get mental health wise to like getting, being excited to wake up in the morning. And if I can help anyone feel that way and go from that extreme to another, that's, you know, that's worth my time. So. Cool. Well, we really look forward to that. And uh, that, that sounds like something that'll fit right in strange realities. We got a, a bunch of freaks flying their flags for sure. <laughs> so. I love a good freak flag. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Congratulations, by the way, on uh, the, the publishing company. I mean, that's, yeah, that's really Thank awesome. you. working our patooties off. It's, I co-founded my best friend, uh, Carly Latham. She's also an author and also a paranormal investigator. So we're knee deep in the spooky community over here. <laughs> so is it kind of like, it's like a kind of like a fiction, like a fiction anthology? Um, so Dark Village is, so the company is Dark Village Publications. Our first release was called Dark Village. And yes, that is um, a fictional anthology. Um, we have we have a New York Times bestselling author in there, Karina Holly. We've got some other amazing authors, Tori Heat, Noel Ely. Uh, there's 27 of us total, um, and it's just being really well received, and it's been so fun and interesting, and it's helped me like find new communities because I've been only in the paranormal community for so long, and now I'm kind of being able to branch out um, and connect with like the Bookstagram and the tick, the Book Talkers. Um, but writing and publishing has just brought me so much and it just feels, I have just learned to trust my intuition and just to follow the thread to my next adventure and then just work my butt off, um, to just earn my place there, wh wherever it is. So awesome. And where can everyone find, find those books? Um, everything's on Amazon. So making friends with ghosts is, um, on Amazon. Dark village is on Amazon in both. Uh, Kindle and on paperback, and we are working on an audio version. Um, and then we have uh, a trilogy release of kind of a dirty book series <laughs> coming on October 18th. But uh, my new paranormal thriller, Desperate Creatures, will be out on paperback and ebook on November 27th on Amazon. Awesome. Everyone go check that out if you're interested in those types of books. <laughs> are, are you going to have some of those? Are you going to have some of those books to sell? Okay. I will. I will definitely have Making Friends with Ghosts. Um, I should have some copies of Dark Village. It might be too down to the wire to get um, our, you know, our naughty book series. <laughs> but the ebook will be available. You want to hide that on your Kindle anyway. Oh well, yeah. Most most. Yeah. Range Reality supports free speech, so if you if you want okay. to, you can bring copies of that. We don't care. <laughs> I can get my hands on them. I will. My, I'll definitely have my first two. And my presentation will focus on uh, making friends with ghosts. And I will have that. There's a lot of people with new books, too, who are going to be presenting this year. So everyone bring your backpacks and tote bags because 
be lots of goodies to take home. Yeah, you know, um, I think it's cool, Mallory, that you're doing that because, like, I, like getting into the ghost hunting, it seems like that was like kind of like, like kind of like a gateway drug to like other things. Yeah. And I feel like kind of the same way in my own life that that's kind of how it's been with being just interested in supernatural, the paranormal or what have you. Cause you got started with the ghost hunting stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I started going to like paranormal conferences and those type of things um, Mm -hmm. way back in the day, like nearly almost 20 years ago now. And I got, you know, big into the ghost hunter stuff, you know, like the ghost hunters TV show and all that. Um, But yeah, so it's like, it's like you never, you never know where this stuff is like really going to take you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every time you think you, you're like, Oh, this is what I like. And you're like, what's that over there? You know? And it's kind of like, let me, let me check this out. And that's, I just like, I think like you take this step and that leads to this and this and to in the community that you build along the way, if you can kind of bring them with you, um, like a lot of the contributors to dark village, I told them I was doing this and they're like, can I write something? I'm like, absolutely. You know, for our audio version, I met um, a very talented musician who is a really awesome paranormal investigator. Um, they're actually a couple. And the two of them together are like the, my most favorite people to investigate with. And he does this amazing music and he's doing the intro music for our audiobook. So like, I love the community is so important to me and just to kind of weave everyone in together just makes my heart so happy. Because <laughs> they're yeah. like, me you know so if i can do anything to bring everyone together i'm gonna do it yeah same here i mean this is why we do the conference i mean we we started doing we started doing conspiranormal well i started doing conspiranormal and surfiel joined me later but we started doing it and it was like i felt like the the natural next step was to do a conference so we finally got to do that in 2019 and we've done it in one form or another ever since. So, I love that. Love it. <laughs> and then also, too, like um, we had Joshua Cutchin on here last week. Um, Josh, who you'll get to meet at the conference, um, you know, he has written a bunch of like nonfiction books about different aspects of the paranormal. And now he just put out like his own like over 400 page fiction novel. I love that. And he'll he'll have that to sell as well. And I've been reading it, and it's 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 really good. So like he's it's kind of like the same trajectory that you that you're taking yourself. Yeah, Yeah. and I think that's awesome. And it's because it's hard, you know, you don't usually jump from point A to point E. You need some like little encouragement and some different steps along the way. And two, like I'm sure that my paranormal thriller wouldn't be what it was if I didn't have my own paranormal experiences to draw from. Right. Sure. Absolutely. So I just, I don't know. I really, I really like my path and your path doesn't have to look like my path. I always make the joke. I'm like, you could be passionate and fly a freak flag about competitive beekeeping. Like, I don't care what it is, but like, if you are like, if you are like super into it, like there's a community for you and there's like more paths that you can take to just, I just think it's important. Yeah, it is. And it, it's like, it's a form of therapy, really. Yeah. And it makes it makes life more interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, awesome. We look forward to that. And you'll be, like I said, you'll be presenting for the first time at Strange Realities. Uh, and so who who we want to go next? Uh, well, let me say let me say first before we before we move on. Um that on the schedule, uh, which will be posted to the site very soon, guys, and I may go over it here um, later on in the night, but um, Mallory will be yes. speaking on Friday night, 6.20 to 7.20. That is central time. So if you are watching online, you guys need to just you know figure out what time zone you're in, but uh, 6.20 to 7.20 on, on um, Friday night. And uh, she follows you, Sirfiel, so... Okay, cool. And then All we can right, just well, have fun for the rest of the, the time. Cause exactly. We won't have anything else to do. Well, you'll have plenty to do, Sir Phil. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll have fun. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Nathan, over there in the wide-angle, beautiful studio yeah. under the blue lights. Yeah, nice 80s wall art and everything. Yeah. Panther on it. It's it's a Black Panther, man. It's a fucking Phantom Cat, right? That is nice. <laughs> you got that Panther soul there, Nathan. That's that's right. for sure. Right. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to be back. It's going to be really, really fucking fun. You know, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you want me to tell you what I'm going to be talking about? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so I am going to give a, I've, I've been really, it, this started as like a whimsical project, uh, in like the last year. And I was, I was looking at cattle mutilations and whether or not cattle mutilations were somehow tied to like alchemical, <laughs> if there were any alchemical connections to cattle mutilations in the 1970s and like where they were located in Colorado, sort of in this uh, triangle of where a lot of different minerals were uh, were mined, right? And this whole idea of, like, the cattle's being drained of blood. Anyway, whimsical thought. And as I started looking into the cattle mutilations because of that. I was, I was working on an essay about that, article about that. And then, um, you know, I love fucking muckrock.com, right? It is the best service for FOIA requests, uh, 40 bucks a month. You can send like 45 FOIA requests a month and bug the shit out of the government, right? <laughs> All levels of government. I've even used it locally to bug the local library, right? And so, uh, so anyway, I, I started diving into the cattle mutilations and I fired off like a lot of FOIA requests because of the, uh, you know, the investigations in the 1970s. Uh, really spearheaded by uh, the Colorado Bureau of Investigations. And uh, yeah, I just I, I pulled basically every uh, newspaper article that I could find, uh, dug through old archives, uh, found some private collections and started data mining all that. And then Darian, you know, uh, West, who helps me do a lot of this research, we started building a database um, and started data mining all of these reports and these articles. And so I was, I was just getting like hundreds and hundreds of pages of documentation about cattle mutilations, all kinds of uh, body cam footage from some, some of the law enforcement that investigated this stuff. Right. And um, yeah, so, so I was digging into that and um, I kept coming across the, the connection to the far right 
especially the John Birch Society, right? And there was an anthropologist who had written this article about the sagebrush rebellion in the 1970s, right? And very lightly connected cattle mutilations to the sagebrush rebellion. And so like the sagebrush rebellion is like the ranchers out West used to be able to let their cows graze on federal lands. But then in the 1970s, right around uh, 72, when the cattle mutilation started, the federal government told all the ranchers, you can't use government land anymore. So like some of these ranches, there were millions of heads of cattle and suddenly they had to use only the acreage that they owned. And this caused this crazy uproar. Um, and so there was an attempt by some of these far right groups, fascist groups to radicalize the sagebrush. That's why it's called the sagebrush rebellion to radicalize these farmers to rise up against the government. Right. So, and, and everyone's heard all these connections between black helicopters, right? Ken Thomas spoke so much about black helicopters and cattle mutilations. Well, the black, the black helicopter phenomena originated with the John Birch society back in 1967 right so i started digging into this and looking into you know pulling fbi files filing for requests on specific individuals and started finding connections between some of these people and it seemed to indicate and i and i do believe that there is something strange going on with cattle mutilations i'm not saying that the john birch society uh is was the sole culprit right but definitely what I'll be presenting are all of these threads that connect these people together, um, showing that definitely the John Birch Society was trying to infiltrate local law enforcement and radicalize the local populace. And you've got all these Vietnam vets coming back. Um, they're disenfranchised. They're being scooped up by far, far right extremist groups like the Minutemen. And the guy that founded the Minutemen and some of these guys, uh, the these militias, they also were veterinary guys. And they were manufacturing these drugs to use in domestic terrorism, uh, you know, attacks. And those are the drugs that I started to see f showing up in, from the documents in these FOIA requests that were in the fucking cattle, right? And it is the craziest fucking shit. I swear to God. <laughs> so like anyway, that's the, the presentation is sort of this investigation. It's called Hidden in the Herd. Uh, it's going to be a podcast that comes out after uh, the third season of Penny Roll next year. And uh, yeah, it traces this investigation, all the documents, all the shit that we found, the data mining of the documents and the patterns we found connecting some of these people together even involves uh, Berkowitz, the son of Sam, because he was collecting all of this data on fucking cattle mutilations also. And that shows up in some of the investigations and the son of, son of Sam murders tied to David Carr, his neighbor, right? And he was out West at one of these military installations. It's yeah, just- It was, it was what, Minnow, Minot, in north dakota yes yes yeah. yeah so there's all these connections between north dakota militias militias in north dakota the minutemen fucking fred chrisman shows up 
at connected to the Minutemen, right? So well, then you're of like, course, of course he does. Yeah, Mari Island, Fred Crisman, cattle mutilations. <laughs> you know? Even Crisman shows up in the fucking Mothman shit too. You know, at Point Pleasant, right? Um, so with David Ferry, and uh, anyway, so so really, that's what I'll be presenting. Um, if I have enough time, I'll put together a, a paper mache cattle mutilation. For, for uh, well, well, that sounds like some Nathan Isaac shit, man. We appreciate it. That's definitely some. Uh, that, uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I think you just blew my mind. Well, okay. You said something uh, that uh, I don't think it's going to give away too much on the presentation, but uh, something that intrigued me. When you said that the John Birch Society, the origin of that, the black helicopters was with them. Are we talking about they were writing about this stuff or how? So the first mention ever of black helicopters, right, in in conspiracy theory was back in 67 in in their uh, the publication American uh, Opinion. Yeah, American Opinion. And I've been trying to track down the actual publication. My wife is super pissed that I keep spending hundreds of dollars on right-wing uh, books that are coming to our house. And I feel like, like you, I feel like that puts you on a list somewhere. Just <laughs> she's like, "Why are you spending all this money on this this like extremist literature?" And I'm yeah, like, and "There's strange so- boxes are showing up." Yeah, right, right. We'll we'll, we'll get to that in a second. So, who's so the anyway. author of that for that see ken thomas mentions it um i don't know i can't find the article i know it's referenced in the john birch american opinion in 1967 so i'm trying to find which one of those editions in 67 is the one but um i don't i don't have a copy of that yet uh but ken thomas mentions it i mean you can even go when you start researching black helicopters uh, all the people that have spent time on that, especially Ken Thomas, they, he mentions that it's the John Birch society. Um, and, but mm-hmm. their connection, they were connecting, connecting it, not to cattle mutilations. Obviously this is pre, you know, uh, snippy and in the seventies, but they were saying that it was the UN and the UN was in, invading the United States with, well, black. of course they were. I mean, that was their whole stick. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so, but then it begins to be blended with uh, the, the narrative of cattle mutilations, right? But a lot of what you start to find out is a lot of the sheriff departments that were reporting on the cattle mutilations were actually, they turned out being members of the John Birch Society. And the FBI was investigating how many sheriff's departments and local police departments the John Birch Society had actually infiltrated. And that's what I, when I was like, holy shit, this is like, you know, like, are the guys reporting some of this uh, also contributing to this narrative meant to radicalize people out West to, to, to join the John Birch Society and, and to, to rise up against the government, basically. Um, so it's that, if I get what you're saying, you're saying that, like, it would it was to exacerbate the issues already going on with yeah. cattle herding on federal land. And it was like, so not only are they trying to stop you from doing that, but, but they're like mutilating your cattle. Yes. And so yeah, that would right. further radicalize yes. farmers. Yeah. Or yeah. Rappers, so, you mean. 
and Kiki, a lot of Kiki says Nathan taking us down rabbit holes. <laughs> well, to so, add that to the stream. So this was a weird thing too. You know, a lot of these guys had served in Vietnam, not under Lansdale, but you've got um, uh, the he, you know what's his name? Um, uh, I forget what his first name is. Uh, shit. Anyway, Lansdale was the guy that had uh, in the Korean War had uh, the Huck soldiers. He had drained them of blood, captured them, hung them upside down, and convinced everyone that they were fucking, that there was a vampire on the loose, right? And uh, it was sort of the early psychological warfare tactics uh, that were also implemented in Vietnam. So you've got these disaffected Vietnam soldiers coming back, joining these extremist right-wing militias like the Minutemen, and they've been trained in staging these types of events to radicalize and scare the local populace, right? The sagebrush rebellion shit is not a conspiracy theory. Um, there, this anthropologist that wrote this article, if you go to the cattle mutilation Wikipedia page, you'll find a whole section where this guy, um, I can't I fucking write his name down, but this guy wrote this article in a, a pretty major anthropology journal about the sagebrush rebellion and he's got a little section about cattle mutilation well he's sort of an expert on the connections between these two things so i start digging deep into that guy and i'm like man i've got to fucking interview this guy where does he live and he lives in fucking somerset kentucky and teaches at the local <laughs> college okay okay like how fucking crazy is that shit well, mallory may not be <laughs> aware that everything ties to somerset fucking kentucky that's where nathan lives yeah so, so, Ma so mallory nathan has his podcast um to if you want to get caught up on all this follow along i am not can, surprised that he has a podcast <laughs> you, can, you can listen to all i think it's what how many shows is there is like all 50 hours of of penny royal uh, it's it, like it, it will seasons. it will get you it will get you caught up on some of the weirdness that's going on and there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in his hometown of Somerset, Kentucky. I mean, what are the odds that that guy lived here, right? And taught at fucking Somerset Community College. Right? Well, it seems like you've run into that type of thing before, right? Because you've got a lot of people that that uh, that's what's happened that they've that they live there, or that you, you know, it's like it's it seems like it's a weird destination. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I can't, wait to, I can't wait to pick your brain about some of the stuff at the conference, Nathan, because like you're talking about the Vietnam psych warfare stuff, which was uh, um, a large part of that was Michael Aquino. Yes. Yes. That ties into like Satanism, and because a lot of cattle mutilation stuff was blamed on Satanists and things like that. So is that also part of the? the, the yes. Yeah. So so uh, this ties into Bentonville, Arkansas there was a cattle mutilation connect and this is part of the the presentation too they this is where you know the home of walmart right <laughs> and so i knew they, they were involved i knew walmart was it was it's wally fucking world man right <laughs> <laughs> so no but they they uh down in bentonville there's this like really massive cattle mutilation scare connected to ritualism then in logan ohio 
everybody loses their fucking minds and forms armed militias. They were buying so many weapons because of the cattle mutilations that there were no guns in the gun stores, right? And I've got all these newspaper articles. It's fucking crazy, right? And the sheriff, uh, his name is Darius. Uh, what was his name? Uh, shit. There's an explicit content warning going to be on oh, this. Uh, the, the, I'm this sorry. <laughs> I apologize for cursing so much. <laughs> You're all right. We have an awe last week. What are you doing? <laughs> but anyway, this, this sheriff, he, he like goes nuts, thinks that these black helicopters and planes are landing at the local airport. There's an armed standoff. They chase a fucking helicopter down the runway like with guns firing at it crazy articles right but all of this ties into this concept in folklore called ostension right mm -hmm. uh, that i get into a little bit and because there were two mutilated human bodies found around this time in logan ohio but they were actually tied to a serial killer but it was enough to connect the cattle mutilations to humans being mutilated to satanic cults the bentonville stuff was happening shit was happening in great falls montana shit was happening in in fucking colorado and it created this crazy furor across the country in 1979 that the Colorado Bureau of Investigation led mm. and it kicked off the fucking satanic panic. And you yeah. can see the exact, like, where it all started. And the guy that was, that was pushing all this, right, was a guy named Dane Edwards. And he was the editor of a Colorado uh, newspaper called The Brush Banner. And he was like dove head first into this, was investigating all these things, writing, you know, articles like mad. The articles were getting picked up and put, you know, put all over the U.S. by other bigger newspapers. And he's like, I'm really close to solving this. People are threatening my life. And then the fucker vanishes. Right. And everyone's like, they killed him. They killed him before he could reveal it. Ten years later, he shows up and fucking like texas with somerset kentucky no not in somerset i wish right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what he was gonna say <laughs> he shows up in like texas with a new family and it turns out he's a con artist and while he was running the brush banner in colorado he was on his second family and so all of the articles he was pushing during this time period yeah. were all fucking bullshit right and when I got the documents from the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, I was the first person to get them. They were not redacted. I had to pay a, a hefty sum to get them redacted to get them. And supposedly there were like 10,000 cases that they investigated, according to Dane Edwards and according to the newspaper articles. When I got the documents, it was like 150. And only three were even considered mysterious. And so like... All of the stuff, the, all of these narratives that we've heard about this investigation, the things that happened in the 1970s are all fucking bullshit. Right. But like weird shit was going down definitely in these areas. Right. And people were seeing like hotel sized UFOs. There were weird cults running around magic, you know, people doing some weird magic shit. Uh, Chaz Clifton has a great article um, in uh, uh, one of the, I think it was the 40 in times. Um, about things that were happening. So like weird shit was happening, but I also think that right-wing extremists were taking advantage of this and were using it to radicalize people at West. This was during a huge, you know, a global recession yeah. and also feed prices of cattle right. 
it cost more to feed a cow at this time than it did to, you know, basically bring it to, to, to actually sell it. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of allegations that people were finding mutilated cows because of insurance. Right. Mm -hmm. That, cause it, it was better to kill your cattle than it was to feed your cattle. And this was, there were 4.5 million head of cattle in the U S at the time. It was the highest number of cattle ever. So it was mm -hmm. like, the feed prices were too high. The land was taken away. And then all of this shit was going down. And suddenly guess what? All these mutilations start. And yeah. there are all these yeah. right wing John Birchers running around telling everyone there's black helicopters in the sky. It's the fucking government. They're destroying your herds. Right. It's almost so like it, it, parallel to like the serial killer stuff going on in the 80s too, right? Like if you want to get all McGowan about it, you could say the strategy attention for the cities and the urban areas was serial killers. The strategy attention for the rural areas was cattle mutilation. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, there really are a lot of connections between Berkowitz and David Carr and, mm -hmm. and you know, South Dakota and all this stuff, right? And these right-wing extremist groups. So definitely, definitely the Minutemen were heavily involved in this. And that guy was, uh, I mean, the documents on the veterinary, like he ran a veterinary clinic that was manufacturing drugs. And they actually, the FBI caught him with these drugs to use in domestic terrorism. And then when you start looking at the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, uh, autopsy reports of the cattle they found the cattle have this drug in their bodies yeah. i'd heard stuff like that before too yeah about the drugs where did you come up maybe i'll leave this for the conference but um did you uh were any of these vietnam vets who came back and were doing this stuff were any of them phoenix program operatives i don't know see i, did, I haven't gone down that path that's why we should talk about some of this stuff yeah yeah we got to talk about this uh, I, um, these two paranoids together yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, before we, um, Mallory, you, you, you um, I, I put you with an interesting pair tonight. I just want you to know that. <laughs> you had to break it up. You're, 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 you're learning some, some really crazy information. Um, I am too. So, but, um, uh, before, yeah, before I we'll talk to Rinda, I, I do want to, you know, since we, you, you mentioned them, um, we did not get a chance to talk about this last week, but, uh, should mention about, um, uh, Ken Thomas, we lost Ken Thomas, who you mentioned, um, author of The Octopus and several other books um, yeah. that Whole we had the pleasure of talking to a couple operation. of times. Yeah, uh, really one of the like OG like conspiracy theorist researchers. Mm -hmm. um, and David Perkins, I believe, in which he was one of the first people to really look into cattle mutilation back in the 80s. Um, so she mentioned that, that the, that they are gone, uh, I think within about a month or maybe less than a month of each other. So man, uh, that's something that I think, uh, I mean, it, it's an unfortunate reality, right? But I keep running into that in terms of trying to find documents and add them to the sort of the pile of documents we've already got. You have these original researchers, but you know, David Perkins was there in 75, right? He actually yeah. was involved in the 79 investigation with the Colorado Bureau of investigation. They had him right. as a consultant and like, he has all these documents and it, you know, you look at like Ray Boucher and lots of other people that, uh, that collected this stuff there were out West that were interviewing people and like, 
weird shit was happening and they were documenting it right and that's why like i'm not trying to say that what that cattle mutilation isn't connected to like high strangeness definitely there's some weird shit going on but um it's just it's hard to like where we are now a lot of these these people who were the original researchers when at the height of some of the strangest times we've had in the last century you know namely the 1970s right they're all they're all dying you know and they're all you know very you know yeah. old in age and elderly and and um, a lot of my point is a lot of knowledge is being lost right well um, and, yeah i agree with that and nathan's for okay i thought the john birch society got you for a second but um the uh, well one point that that uh, I want to make too is you talk about the high strangest aspect behind these cattle mutilations. When any paranormal investigator is going to tell you, if you have, you, you can, you can prime the pump and if other things are happening, it can cause some really weird shit to like pop off like actual paranormal stuff to pop. Yeah. Off. Yeah. Um, I should say too, uh, I wanted to show this real quick. This is uh altered stakes. This was this was David Perkins' book that he put out in the early eighties. Yeah, self published. You can tell because it's like you know it's it's xeroxed pretty much and like stapled together. But he was he was kind enough to give us myself and Surfiel a couple of copies. So will you bring a copy of that with you to the conference? <laughs> yeah, I could bring my copy. Would you mind? Would you mind? I'd like to see see yeah. that get a scan let me scan it man <laughs> but yeah i mean i think that's what conspiracy normal and larger strange realities thing is really all about all these all these subjects and and little countercultures and speculative clicks you know it's like uh we like collecting connecting the roots to uh these trees of research and these endeavors and kind of connect to the past and try to preserve some of the stuff um, on into the future. And, you know, if someone doesn't do that, then, you know, you, you end up with researchers in the future or researchers like we are now, you know, trying to get information that's just almost lost yeah. or totally lost. Yeah. yeah. That's very well said. Ren, let's, let's, uh, well, actually, before we move on, let me tell when every, tell everyone when Nathan is speaking, Nathan, you're going to be on Saturday, the 4th, you are speaking 6.30 to 7.30. Awesome. That is right after dinner. You and Josh are going to be the last two speakers on Saturday night. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Okay. We will move on to Ren. Ren, uh, I don't know if you can top Nathan, but uh, we'll... <laughs> it's like funny you mentioned Ray Boucher. Um, yeah, uh, well, I mean, I kind of wanted you. You talked about a lot of this on the episode of Where Do the Road Goes. So people can go listen to that, but yeah, it's on a, uh, I really wish I'd been in on that conversation because, yeah, especially about some of the weird Christianity angle to it, I could have, I could have really contributed to that. But there, um, yeah. So, and I think this is going to be part of what you're going to talk about. At the in the conference too. Yeah, I'm gonna um, make another attempt at doing a Spalding Gray routine, and so I'm gonna be doing a lecture this time, not like a group ritual like last year. And 
it's going to be kind of a follow-up to the talk I gave like two years ago, where um, at that point I was encouraging people to kind of create their own weirdness rather than look to paranormal influencers to create that weirdness for them, trying to help people understand that like they can go out on their own adventures. They can, they can investigate this stuff. They can engage with all of this stuff on their own. They don't need anybody to help them like do it. They don't need to view it through someone else's filter, someone else's lens Um, with the sort of larger idea that we're entering into interesting and strange times I think in history and in a lot of cases um, you're, you're going to have to learn how to program or be programmed right like you you've got to understand how to navigate your own realities and create your own realities because if you don't you're going to be given one um, that may not necessarily align with your values so in the two years that have passed, some of the stuff I had speculated about has kind of come full circle, um, mainly with the UFO disclosure stuff recently. There um, has been sort of the revelation that there is a contingent within you know, sort of the military industrial complex that is investigating this stuff that views it as uh, essentially paranormal and at least publicly like outright demonic, right? Like they, they think that it's literally demons. Um, what's interesting and frustrating about this is that it seems to be um, both a play for like, let's say power within the new sphere where you have like CIA guys going on podcasts talking about how there are you know, invisible, intelligent, non-human entities on Earth who can control people's minds and, like, tell them what to do and stuff like that. So it's not a huge leap to go from that to, well, all the people that I disagree with or all the people I don't like are actually being mind-controlled by aliens or, you know, demon aliens or whatever you want to call them. Um, and so that this this leads to some real bad places real quick in society. And... The frustrating part of it is that they're not entirely wrong in the sense that like UFOs and ghosts and I don't know, like whatever, this paranormal stuff, a lot UFOs are not probably most of the time um, aliens from some other star, right? That have come here in a physical spaceship, right? Like there is a paranormal and psychic aspect to it that is like pretty undeniable uh, to me at this point. And as someone who engages with like magic, considers myself a magician, um, I know that there is like a reality to the spirit world, right? And that a lot of times what people are actually engaging with in in this, and they have these events are spirits. And that these spirits aren't all necessarily good and they aren't all necessarily bad. Sometimes they have their own agendas. and I think it's important for people to understand that like we live in a rich ecosystem of non-human intelligences, right? They're not all out to get you. And anyone who's telling you that is probably got something else going on behind the scenes. Um, and the other aspect to this is like 
when I was in in Scotland earlier this year, I was reading through um, Andrea Puharic's Beyond Telepathy, which is a uh, out of print book that he wrote about ESP, um, published in the '60s, I think, and. It's pretty standard, like, ESP stuff. Like, he talks about um, Robert Monroe at one point in Out of Body Experiences, which it's really interesting stuff because it, it has a revelation that uh, Bob Monroe's initial experiences were precipitated by him sniffing glue, um, which is something that Robert Monroe conveniently leaves out of Journeys Out of the Body. Um, interesting. Okay. I'll take you out of your body. Yeah. It, okay. It, it, yeah. So, uh, which was, it was interesting to read that, but what really like hit me. I guess you got to start somewhere, I guess. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't have any problem with it. I just wish he was more honest about it, you know? Um, but the part that really hit me like a truck was near the end of Beyond Telepathy. He starts talking about the effects of like weather patterns on psi phenomena. And what does Andrea Puharic quote, but the key of Solomon. So he starts bringing up how, like he starts bringing up grimoire magic and relating it to like how weather affects, like affects Psy. So he's like making this link between magic and Psy, even if he's doing it indirectly. Um, but that really set me on a, a little rabbit hole because I was like, well, if Kuharik was so influential within these communities, and like, you know, if you read any of like Peter Lavenda stuff, like about the nine and how Park was involved with that, he obviously had the ear of a lot of people and he was obviously familiar with grimoire magic, probably on a pretty like fundamental level. And there, there's kind of like two thoughts, like two threads that go off from that, where one is like, he probably had Aleister Crowley's version of the Goetia, the one that Mathers translated and Crowley stole and said, claimed that it was his work. Um, because that was like the only one that was really like, only English translation that was like really available at that time. Um, so if you follow that train of thought, then you would have to assume that like Puharic was familiar with Crowley and that thus was probably familiar with the work of Kenneth Grant. And if you look at any of the stuff that like, like if you read Nick Redfern's final events and it talks about like the Babylon working and how, you know, it opened a hole in the universe and let these entities in and stuff, that's all BS, but it comes from Kenneth Grant. So there's a direct line there. So like somebody within Paharic circles or Paharic himself read like, uh, I think it's in uh, Outer Gateways is the one where Kenneth Grant talks about this crap. And you even see that like reflected in like modern, like Twin Peaks season three, right? Where the Trinity test is what allows in all these experiences and things like that, which is another Kenneth Grant thing. Kenneth Grant can't really seem to make up his mind, which is Jack Parsons or if it's nuclear bomb. Um, and waffles on that. But the other uh, aspect is the stuff that Ray Boucher was telling Redfern, and more specifically, the stuff Ray Boucher had told uh, Doc Future on, like, the legendary episode of Future Quick he was on, where he talked about how there were, like, these CIA guys who were experimenting with ritual magic as a way to conjure and communicate with extra human intelligences, and they were, like, utilizing EVP methods and, like, spirit boxes and things like that as a way to communicate, 
and that the this communication <laughs> driven them insane and like some of them had committed suicide and I'd always thought that was like wild. I was like, well, why would the CIA even know about? It? I mean, like, sure they would know about it, but like, why would they be dabbling with that? Like, in, this, in such a sincere manner, you know? Because like a lot of the intelligence guys, they were interested in magic from the point of view that it was like purely psychological. You know, it was like a way to do psychological manipulation on yourself and other people. But this is like taking it pretty literally as it's written in the book, right? And running with it in that direction. Um, so that linked together some of that stuff for me. And so I've got a lot of speculation about that, not a lot of evidence. So I hope people forgive me for that, but, um, we're going to, we're going to engage in some high octane speculation. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm also going to sort of reiterate my call and, and walk back a few things I've said about magic over the years. Cause I feel like my, my thoughts on this have matured a bit where, I don't think that like everybody is able to like handle doing magic. And it's not like for everybody. I used to be very passionate about how it's for everybody. Everybody should do it. And the more I've seen, the more I realize that maybe that's not entirely true, but that if you want to do it and you want to take it seriously and you want to use it to help people and help, you know, your family and help your society and town or whatever, right? You want to use it for the betterment of the people around you. Then like you can join the bookhouse boys with me, you know, we can all be like one big club and try to make the world a better place using the reality of whatever this stuff is. Well, that sounds like some classic Ren stuff. That. But yeah, that's real interesting yes, that indeed. you're basically saying that this, um, a large part of the military establishment may share an occult reality, if not um, their, their different uh, interpretation of it, but the same essential occult reality as these you know, grandmasters of occultism of the 20th century, Crowley and Grant and people like that. Yeah. And, and not only, not only do they share that reality, but that they utilize it. And that's what I think is so disingenuous about them painting it as like all demonic, right? It's all evil and can't be touched. I think that's part of the op too. Like you see um, a lot of these news stories that have come out in the last month or so have been like, well, they wanted to shut down the research because they thought it was demonic or whatever. But based on some breadcrumbs that like uh, Dave Metcalf set me on a few years ago, like I don't think that there are elements within those groups who, I mean, hell, they might still think it's demonic, right? But they want to use it to help. Themselves. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't like, see uh, the people who you know use the atomic bomb and mind control and everything else. <laughs> yeah, it's not demon. like they shied away from evil, so. Um, but I, but I do think that there is a level of utilization of those entities um, at a level of utilization of magic that I think is obscured and probably like it's probably a lot more prevalent than we realize. And I mean, just too like helping people understand that like 
I don't know, modern new agey stuff, I think really discounts the idea of like, spiritual evil, right? That like the idea that there can be any spiritual evil in the world, right? But I definitely want to push back against that and say that, no, it's entirely possible that there is, there are things out there that don't have your best interests in mind. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't go into the cave, right? There's, there's scary monsters in the cave, but there's also treasure in the cave. So, you know, it's, you just have to understand like what you're getting into when you get into it and understand that like, just like the real world, some people want to be your friends and some people want to be your enemies. And it's the same in the spirit world. Hmm. That's, That'll be yeah. cool. I mean, we That's, really like these yeah. more conversational presentations that you've done where, you know, yeah. you start with some questions and kind of explore and that, you know, there's such big questions that you're not going to necessarily have all the answers, but mm -hmm. the, the questions themselves are really fascinating. And Ren, you are also speaking on Saturday. You will be at one to two o'clock. You'll be right after lunch. Mm -hmm. So guys, don't um, don't miss that. Yeah, don't miss it. You're and going to want to see it. Of course, it'll be streaming, of course. And you can go back <laughs> if and I come in there and people later. are sleeping after um, they've had their big lunch, I'm just going to do like a Grant Morrison thing and just scream into the microphone. <laughs> there you go. The first thing I do. There you go. So you're not doing any ritual this time. So anyone who's scared to be around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll be, there'll be no big group ritual this time. Um, yes. But there may be some like off camera side yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of ritual action going but on. You don't have I still maybe want to do something to people who would be into, in like into that, who are going to be there in person. Because like last year, you know, I brought, I made all those talismans for people who were there in person. Like I want to try to like do something for the people who are like actually going to be there, right? Who are making the effort sure. or able to actually come out there. It's a magical time. Mm -hmm. So, um, Mallory, I have a question for you based on what Ren is saying um in some of your investigations has anybody done any kind of occult practices or anything like that to get things going like like has that has that ever been incorporated into anything that that you've done or been a part of in in like uh ghost hunting yeah i mean <clears throat> i i mean when you were talking around i was when you said you know how magic's not for everyone I mean, that rings true for the paranormal as well, paranormal investigating mm -hmm. um, in a couple of different ways. I mean, you can look at it just pragmatically, like some people are in it for this weird chase for fame. They think they're going to be on TV or whatever. But in a deeper look, <clears throat> it's my experience that you don't necessarily, you're not just like, given a paranormal experience. I think mm -hmm. you have to do the work to be open to it. Mm -hmm. And in some locations you connect better or the, or the location connects better with you. Mm -hmm. So there's this weird kind of, I don't even, I'm not sure what it is, but I, I feel differently now than I did when I first started. And I was like, mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to go knock on a knock on a thing and see if something knocks back. And now I'm kind of like, Oh, am I vibing with this place? Like, does this feel mm -hmm. like somewhere that's going to connect with me when I have felt like that? Mm -hmm. I have had the more impactful experiences. To answer your question, you know, I've been in like a seance. I've had mediums, you know, come with me. I really think the true medium is very few and far between. Um, 
I mean, I think it all really comes down to intention. And I think the best investigators that I know say that over and over and over and over. It's about your intention and the people that you're with. If you trust the group that you're with and you're there to experience it. I think some of the, some of the moments, and it's hard because I did, you know, I found this, the community that I value so much through like social media and sharing nice photos of, you know, a haunted location. But in reality, to really connect in that moment, it's when you don't have your camera out. You know, it's like mm -hmm. in that moment, it's you and, and the spirit and you are experiencing each other. And it doesn't matter if you get it on camera or if you get it on, you know, like what you're saying when you were first talking about your speech where you can go do this yourself. Mm -hmm. When I originally talked to these guys, I was saying how I went to my first paranormal conference and I was looking around and I was like, I can go do this? Because <laughs> it like, didn't occur to me. I had seen everyone on TV and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. But like when I went, the feeling is so different. That feeling that's in your, your gut when you walk into a space and you're like, and it doesn't matter if you don't get a photo or something to share mm. online. It's about that connection in that moment, that kind of intangible. Mm -hmm. um, so along the long winded answer to your question is it's been tried, but I don't think that it, ha it has had much impact on me personally in my investigations. I just think like maturing into my investigation, my investigation style has helped me connect better and like respect what I'm doing a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And that's made a big difference. Okay. Yeah. Do you have anything in your toolkit rent that rent that you would say would, uh, you would do to, uh, someone activity in a ghost investigation? I mean, if it was ghost stuff, I would just go straight back to uh, Greek necromancy. You know, like... Rid doesn't conjure ghosts, just gods. No, no, he's still do the ghosts, too. <laughs> I mean, okay, we've all read the Odyssey, right? Like, you had to read the Odyssey in school. Like, it gives yeah. you step-by-step. Step. It tells you how to do it. You gotta dig a pit, right? You need to get, say the conjuration. You gotta, like, call it the spirits. Okay. And then you got to give them offerings so that they can like get enough strength to speak to you, the shades or whatever. So, um, you know, in Odysseus's case, he cuts the throat of a black ox who, you know, pours the blood into the pit. And then he has to use his sword to like fight off all the other spirits while Tiresias is able to drink enough. To, like, got a cattle mutilation angle there. Exactly. Um, but honestly, the thing that with, with ghost hunting that I've, not really seen any uh, experimentation with and that I'm super interested in, but I don't know how well it would go down with the paranormal sort of community, like the more sort of, I guess, less esoteric paranormal community is dream incubation because that was a really super common way um, like people in ancient Greece would speak to dead loved ones, right? You'd go to uh, their tomb or their grave or whatever, and you would just like sleep there with the intention that you were going to have a dream and you were going to meet them in a dream so that you could ask them whatever questions you needed to ask them. And in that sense, it was seen as a little bit easier to accomplish than like trying to conjure them the physical appearance and the, you know, in the overworld, right? 
you were going to go to sleep and you were going to meet them in the underworld, right? Where you have common ground, you know, when you go to sleep, you've got one foot in the underworld. So, but then again, too, like a lot of people, the way modern people see dreams, right, is as not real, right? Like things that happen to you in a dream aren't real. They're just delusions. It's just your brain or whatever. Without realizing that, like, that's a pretty modern way of looking at it. Um, to someone in ancient Greece, if you met your, like, dead mother in a dream and had a conversation with her, you had a conversation with your dead mother, Shade, like... Yeah. That's as simple as that. Like, it's not like it was just because it was a dream that was any less real or any less like valid an experience. Mallory, I think you said something about on one of your investigations kind of falling to sleep before something happened, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say it's kind of it's like sleeping at a location. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that I, I will talk about in my presentation. But I had um, slept at the Shanley Hotel in Napanoke, New York. And mm -hmm. Um, I was asleep when I started to have an experience and I was kind of awakened. And I think it, it there is something to being vulnerable in sleep. Um, you know, I heard footsteps coming toward me and it's, it was one of those moments like I hold, I hold in my gut and I know, I know what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, something walked toward me and leaned over me. And I remember thinking in that moment that it wasn't there to scare me. It was there to check on me. Yeah. Like I was afraid because of what it was and that just kind of, you're like supposed to be afraid of ghosts. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I knew it was a spirit and I knew, but I didn't, it was, it was something just going like, is she really asleep? And like it, it <laughs> knew, it knew I was awake and it knew that I was like, Nope. Cause mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not turning around. And I don't know how I knew, but I did like, I, and yeah. I don't, I don't claim to have any kind of extrasensory um, ability or anything, but something in my gut knew exactly what was happening. Um, and then the next morning, my friend who was in the room with me, she's like, did you hear those footsteps? <laughs> I was like, damn it, ghost, I was asleep, you know? Like it's, and I think it's, it's because I was asleep. So mm -hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, I think it puts you in a state where it's more conducive to that experience if people can get over their uh, view of dreams as unreal, right? We spend half of our lives dreaming. How is you can have dreams that make you feel depressed, you know, like wake up and feel like crap because of yeah. something you dreamed about, right? Like dreams right. can affect you just as much as any living like day-to-day -day experience. So why, why do we consider them like somehow not connected to the rest of our lives? I, I would add also that there is the phenomenon of encountering something and instead of having the reaction of terror or flight, mm -hmm. of just immediately going back to sleep. Timothy Renner has talked about this countless times. Mm -hmm. I've experienced it in my own life when I was a child and I saw an apparition. I went back to sleep. Um, and Mike Clellan has talked about this, seeing those three figures outside his house of, you know, so like a, an attempted alien abduction or whatever it was that he encountered. He went back mm -hmm. to sleep. Tim has said the same thing multiple times that that's happened to him. And a lot of people report that, that it's, it seems like that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do, but you just fall asleep. So it's like, there's almost that, that increases like the dream like encounter uh, nature of those encounters. Yeah. Weird stuff. I think this is a great selection to show 
what strange realities is all about and has to offer and conspiracy normal too like we've got ghost hunting alongside nathan investigating this like historical uh occult mystery and then ren tying his uh, magical and occult worldview into current events and ufos at the same time and it's just all over the place and i love it all right. Well, I wanted to go ahead and um, just real quick, since we have I have the schedule, so I wanted to uh, do tell everybody what the schedule is going to be for the conference. Um, hopefully, you guys can. I think everybody can see this. But um, all right. So um, we start on Friday night, November third. This is at SIR and online. Everything's online, so just take that for granted. Uh, some be some opening remarks for myself, Sergio, and Steve Berg. Five to ten to six ten. This is all Central Time. This is PM. Sergio is going to be starting us off with his presentation. Six twenty to seven twenty. Mallory Solinsky, you are going to be the second person speaking, as we said before. And seven thirty to eight thirty. Zach Hunt, and at eight forty to nine forty, Tim Benal finishes us off on Friday. Um, on Saturday. The fourth, this is 9.30. We start at 9.30, so 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Cheslin Vance, who is going to be giving a workshop on hypnosis. So be prepared to be hypnotized first thing in the morning. Um, (laughs) She is going to be uh, with us next week, so we'll talk a little bit more about with her about that. Uh, 10.40 to 11.40 after that, we have Brent Rains. He is returning. um, And then 11.40 to 1 p.m. lunch break. And as we mentioned before, 1 to 2, we have Ren uh, is going to be speaking. 210 to 310, Kiki Dombrowski. 320 to 420, Tobias Whalen. 430 to 530. Um, I think you're uh, getting ahead of yourself a little there. Hold on. Yeah, 420. Uh, for, hold on. Something's not making sense. Steven Snyder is going to be after that. And then we have the dinner break. 6.30 to 7.30 with Nathan, 7.40 to 8.40 with Josh, 8.50 to 10, we have a Q&A session. So that is then. I think we might need a little more of a, a break between uh, 4.20 and the next speaker there. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I'm going to have to correct <laughs> that. Uh, so let me, I'll have to figure that out. Yeah. Okay. Ha ha. I see what you're saying. Yeah. All right. On, on on Guy Fox Day, November fifth, eleven to twelve, Christopher Ernst starts us off. These are the online only presenters. Twelve ten to one ten, David Metcalf. One twenty to two twenty, Aaron Gullius. Two thirty to three thirty, Michael Hughes. Three forty to four forty, Soraya Askath. And four fifty to five fifty, Timothy Winter finishes off the whole thing. So that is the um. That is the schedule for Stranger Realities Conference 2023. Awesome. And like we've said before, um, Sunday is just another day for everybody watching online. But for everyone there, um, if you guys want to have watch parties or whatever, but there's also going to be a lot of uh, people going out, having adventures, having fun. And uh, if you buy our in-person tickets, you can always go back and watch those uh, presentations online. So if you want to get in the mix on Sunday, you can do that and uh, check out those presentations when you get back home. All right. Absolutely, guys. 
All right, guys. I want to thank you for uh, doing this tonight. Um, let's go down the list. And uh, everybody, please talk about what to, where we can find you guys. And uh, please, any websites, books, podcasts, what have you. We'll start with you, Nathan. Uh, Pin and Roll Podcast. Uh, it's on all the platforms. Two seasons out. Third season's coming out uh, at the beginning of next year. Awesome. Yeah, so that's going to be pretty weird. Some strange stuff. <laughs> And uh, and then Hidden in the Herd is going to be a podcast uh, that's coming out later in the year. Um, but also we've got a Patreon where uh, every Monday night we do a live stream and talk about all this research in real time that we're doing uh, with all these projects. So uh, it's uh, patreon.com, Roll Podcast, The Liminal Lodge. Uh, check it out. So Okay. And Mallory? Um, so my home is Instagram. I'm at Coffee Books and Goose. Uh, we're also at Dark Village Publications. I'm on Facebook, Coffee Books and Goose, or Mallory Sawinski. Coffee Books and Goose is easier because no one can spell Sawinski ever. <laughs> okay. My books are on Amazon. It's Making Friends with Ghosts and the Dark Village Anthology. Okay, excellent. And Ren. Hey everyone, uh, so I have a fairly updated blog at liminalroom.com if you want to read over some of my instructional material or uh, check out podcast appearances and stuff, I've got links on there. Um, there's also a link uh, to my Discord server if people want to chat, it's completely free, uh, it's not locked behind any kind of subscription or whatever, it's basically just people want to talk to me about cult stuff, that sort of thing, and um, I'm at liminalbird on Twitter and Blue Sky. Okay. All right. And of course, me and Sir Fiel, we are Conspiracy Normal. We are the organizers of the Strange Realities Conference. And uh, Sir Fiel, is there anything that you want to say real quick? Uh, no, just uh, like I said, this is a good uh, example of how uh, you'll see a bunch of different subjects in the lineup, but they all come together in a strange way that uh, is Strange Realities. Okay. Excellent. All right, guys. I just want to say uh, real quick, Strange. you can find tickets for this conference at strangerealitiesconference.com. Uh, tickets are $70 for for the whole event, and that gets you to, uh, everything online, everything at SIR, and um, also $30 for the whole event online, which is all three days. I want to uh, reiterate that. And also, too, um, if you are if you are going to be just purely online, please go ahead, get your ticket so you can get into the um, secret Facebook group where we will be um, streaming the conference um, because we don't want to be doing that right when we're having to get everybody in at the same time. Uh, StrangeRealitiesConference.com. I uh, want to thank everybody for listening. Tomorrow night we'll be talking to Tobias Whalen, which we will be tagging this on to the show um, on the podcast version. But I want to thank you guys. I thank Mallory, Nathan, and Ren for being here tonight. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thanks. All right, guys. Welcome back. Uh, we are live uh, tonight. We are continuing our previews of the Strange Realities Conference speakers that is coming up November 3rd through the 4th in Nashville, Tennessee and online. 
And tonight we're just going to do uh, a little uh, jam session here with uh, Tobias Wayland, who is uh, speaking at the conference. So welcome, well, to Conspiranormal Stranger slash Strange Realities Preview, Tobias. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. All right. Well, it's gl- glad to have you. Um, so I, we're, what we're going to talk about, just uh, we're going to talk about what you're going to be talking about at the Strange Realities Conference. I guess we'll just start there and uh, we'll just go from there. Sure. So uh, this year I'm going to I'm going to present on several winged humanoid witnesses, um, focusing specifically on their cases in the, the context of the larger investigation. And my reasoning there is, uh, in, in general, what I like to do is focus on uh, witness testimony. I think that sometimes this field can get a little distracted by sensationalism um, or uh, hyper-focus on uh, certain uh, phenomena and forget about the people actually experiencing it. And um, and what I would like to do is uh, is kind of refocus on on them and their experiences because um, you know honestly I think that it's likely the only way that uh, we're going to to really uh, understand or hope to understand most of of these phenomena because everything that we know about them for the most part is, is filtered through human perception anyway. And so examining them as, uh, experiential phenomena, I, I think is the, the only, it's, it's, it's our only option, frankly, um, because the only, uh, tool that we have that seems to be able to reliably, uh, detect, or record these phenomena in in any way is the the human mind you know so we've got human perception and and human memory and uh, and that seems to be about the only uh tool we have to uh uh uh, interact with whatever is is happening to people and so um yeah i mean that's like like i said at at, at the risk of repeating myself that's why I, i really like to focus on on witnesses and uh, and uh, uh, eyewitness testimony. So looking at what they say as opposed to what is later um, compiled about it. Yeah, certainly. You know, I, I think it's important to um, look at at, uh, at exactly what they're claiming as their experience, and you know, it's fine to have. Opinions. It's fine to to speculate. I think that speculation can help uh, it advance us. You know, because most uh, uh, you know I, uh, uh, hypotheses and things are sort of born out of of speculative ideas, right? Uh, but too often the the witness ends up being left behind. I mean, well, you know, frankly, uh, the uh, Point Pleasant Mothman sightings are a perfect example of that. You know, how many people in 2023 uh, remember any of the actual uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia Mothman witnesses from, you know, back in the, the mid 60s? Now, most people interested in Mothman are going to remember John Keel, but quite frankly, 
um, from an experiential standpoint, he should be the least important person involved in that uh, 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 set of experiences, you know, and, and that's what I'm trying to avoid is, is that kind of, of um, fixation on an individual and their opinion or, or, or narrative or, or, or something uh, versus the actual authentic experiences of, of people who are encountering things that they can't explain. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense to me. And whenever, um, yeah, I mean, there's a few, I think uh, the uh, Mothman sighting, uh, I think there's only one I can think of. Linda, was it Linda Scarberry? I think that was one of the Mothman sightings, but everybody else, I think that, that, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't remember their names. You don't remember the people that actually saw these things, unless you go back and reference it in a book, but there's a lot of people that, uh, that, that, that may not, uh, go back and reference it in a book. So that's just kind of how, that's just kind of how it goes. Oh, sure. Um, you know, and, and there's all kinds of, uh, of pop culture that has arisen around these, these phenomena too, which is another part of the, the, the issue, you know, um, we live in, in, uh, era where, where you can go online and within 15 minutes order a, a Mothman plushie and a Mothman t-shirt and probably a Mothman set of fuzzy slippers to go with it. Right. Um, and none of that gets us any closer to actually understanding this phenomenon. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I want to encourage people to be interested in these experiences rather than all of the uh, sort of fluff that has uh, uh, arisen around them because I, I think that uh, examining these experiences again is is the only way uh, right now for us to have any hope of, of understanding or having any chance of understanding what's what's actually happening very well said um, just to kind of like we want to think about the mothman because I mean that's that's kind of like a generic has become a generic term but you know, like it was built off, as I understand it, it was kind of a of a play on Batman, which was the popular TV show of the time. And so they called it Mothman. But everybody has equated it with some anthropomorphic moth when it ne not necessarily that's not necessarily what people saw. They really saw like what you kind of like, which also you've looked into, which is also the, a lot of the, what you were just talking about, like the flying humanoids. So that's, so there's a difference between like kind of the popular culture idea of what later became Mothman and what the other things that you're looking into. Yeah, definitely. And that, that word Mothman, um, it's not, uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of it for the, uh, sure. the exact reasons that, that you just stated, because you're right. Too often now uh, in popular culture, you will see uh, a sort of, of amalgamation of witness descriptions and people mistakenly believing that uh, there are insect-like qualities to this creature as described by uh, uh, witnesses, but that's simply not the case. Most people describe uh, either bat or, or bird-like qualities, you know, and that goes all the way back to, to uh, uh, Point Pleasant. But 
again, um, the, the reality that I'm left with is, you know, I can either stubbornly use phrases like flying humanoid or, or winged humanoid, or I can contextualize this phenomenon using a name that people are already familiar with that uh, will at least give them some idea of, of what to relate this to, you know? So like if, if I tell somebody that I spoke to a witness in Illinois who had a, a Mothman sighting, that comes loaded with certain information, right? And so, so they're going to already be picturing this uh, winged humanoid creature with glowing red eyes they're going to expect that there are certain paranormal qualities, you know, maybe uh, a, a heightened sense of fear, maybe some sort of uh, parapsychological effects, like feeling as though uh, they are having their, their mind read or being hypnotized or even uh, experiencing some sort of haunting or something in their home surrounding the sighting. So there's, there's all kinds of uh, information that comes encoded in, in that word, right? And so um, like it or, or, or not, you know, we're, we're kind of stuck with it, you know, because it's, it's by far the most famous uh, uh, case of, of winged humanoid sightings that I, I think any of us have, have ever seen would be the, the Mothman sightings back in, in, you know, West Virginia in the, the, the mid sixties. I can't, I couldn't name a more famous book than the the Mothman prophecies about winged humanoid sightings. Um, you know, arguably, it's one of the most famous uh, cryptid or or certainly high strangeness books ever written. You know, and so we're sort of saddled with with this term, and we have to make the uh, best of it. But I think one of the things that we can do, of course, is at every opportunity uh, explain the the uh, etymology of that term, you know, uh, uh, explain its origin, explain its place in this this phenomenon, and then why we we continue to to use it, and then through education, I think, you know, people uh, people will will sort of understand why all of that is is actually necessary. Yeah, there's a lot of mythology that surrounds that that subject of Mothman, especially when you get to the bridge collapse, and then. I think the movie, which, you know, is a great movie, um, but it's not entirely reflective of everything that happened, more just high strangeness, period, than just like the case of Mothman itself. But that that furthered all these different, um, and I'm sure that I think that you you encountered this with looking into the Chicago Mothman or flying humanoid encounters that you know, people and people thought, oh, something awful must be about to happen in Chicago with all these flying humanoids because Mothman is this apparently this ar harbinger of doom and all these type of things. Well, these are things that are that were really just kind of picked up from the movie, but it's it's become associated with Mothman and it's not necessarily true. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's that's part of the the cultural baggage that that comes along with with the the Mothman phenomenon. Um, you know, like Richard Hatem is a is a great guy. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's, yeah, a, he's a really cool guy. He's very yeah. I mean, he's a very talented writer. Um, I've never had anything other than a totally positive interaction with that guy. He's he's super great. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, obviously 
when when he was was writing the the Mothman prophecies uh, movie when he was translating that um, you know to to celluloid um, there were uh, necessary changes you know there and and um, and I think probably you know there are uh, certain restrictions from the, the the studio and stuff that that, that sort of came into in, into play because that's just how Hollywood works right and so. Um, what uh, what what we ended up with was a really good movie about high strangeness that, of course, doesn't accurately reflect the actual events of of that time. You know, I mean, it wasn't even set in the the, the right era, right? I mean, it doesn't have John Keel in it by by name. It's missing quite a few uh, uh, people who were heavily involved, um, and 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 that all makes sense, you know, because it's not necessarily meant to be this uh biographical piece right but at the same time it has contributed to a lot of misinformation about those those sightings i mean you hear about uh well there there were two uh made up disasters in that movie that you continue to to hear about um that uh that 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 they said uh, mothman had been seen just before it was uh, the hurricane in Galveston, Texas, and then the uh, nuclear meltdown at Chernobyl. And those persist today. Uh, and they were both made up for specifically that movie. And yet people talk about them as though they were they were real events connected yeah. to this, this phenomenon. And honestly, right. we can we can really blame John Keel for that if 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 we we want to um because you know he was the one that connected it to the 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 silver bridge now the thing about uh john keel that i I think people need to understand is that um one you know he was an excellent storyteller and uh and as an excellent storyteller i think he understood on some level how or what was necessary uh, to create in terms of a narrative for the Mothman Prophecies book to make it readable, to make it entertaining. Um, and so, you know, you sort of need a beginning, middle, and and end. You know, you need a, a complete narrative. You need something to tie it all together, something to to make it make sense. Otherwise, you're left with this this series of, of sort of disparate sightings and 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 uh, and phenomena. And it, it's it's much less engaging and so you know obviously when the the silver bridge uh collapse happened uh, i think that that was obviously very tragic but also a sort of convenient narrative ending for that that story you know and and something else that i i think a lot of people don't consider when they're thinking about keel's writing is um his his uh biggest influence which of course was charles fort and it you know, I've long been a, a proponent of the idea that you can't really understand John Keel unless you understand Charles Fort. And so I think a lot of his writing was done in that that grand Fortean tradition of, of speculation. And you're not necessarily supposed to take it all that seriously because, you know, of course, Charles Fort very famously wrote uh, a very tongue in cheek. You know, he he would he would speculate quite a bit, but, you know, often there was a, a, a lot of humor in, involved too. Um, and I think that, uh, that Keel was, was very similar. 
you know, and so when it comes to the literal interpretation of the, the Mothman prophecies that we see so often today, um, I think that that is a, a mistake, frankly. I, I think that it's, it's not meant to be taken as, as literal, you know, truth or, or, or fact or anything uh, uh, like that. And, and when we do, you know, we, we do ourselves and, uh, and, and these witnesses a, a disservice because it's not really getting us any closer to, to understanding this, this, this stuff. Um, well, let me put it this way. So people sort of treat the, the Mothman Prophecies book as though it is uh, like settled science almost, you know, where it's sort of this, this definitive work and it's something to, 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 to build off of as though everything in it we can assume uh, uh, is is worthy of being taken at its word. And I don't think that gets us anywhere. You know, it's not a very solid base for us to, to um, build off of is, uh, uh, because we don't really know any of that, you know, like none of it is settled. And so mm-hmm. I think if people, you know, treated it more, uh, you know, a, a Fortean sense, that is to say uh, the, the, the works of, of Charles Fort, as a sort of specul, like highly speculative nonfiction, um, then I think that that uh, that would be a much more intellectually honest way to go about it, and we would have fewer people out there saying things like, "Oh, did you know Mothman was at Chernobyl and stuff?" Very well said. Uh, Serfiel is here. Hi guys. I don't think you've ever met Sergio. I don't think you've ever, ever met. Hey, no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, they have you at the conference this year. And yeah, I'm excited. Um, from what I gathered, sorry, I got a little sidetracked on some of these trails over here and got home a little later. I expect. Cryptids or Mothmen. <laughs> So I understand too, Tobias, uh, just a couple of some of the things that you're doing right now. Um, I understand that you have a new book coming out as well. Yes, uh, we are just finishing up the Singular Fortean Society's Yuletide Guide to High Strangeness. Uh, so it's it's written by me with illustrations by my my wife Emily and a uh, a foreword by Joshua Kutchin, which is exciting. It was it was really nice of him to uh, to agree to do that. Um, and it's uh, it's a little bit different as far as as holiday books go. Um, I didn't want to have an, another book that just sort of listed uh, you know ho- uh, 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 holiday mythology or legends or anything or holiday monsters because those exist and they're cool. You know, I mean, I, I get it. Um, but you know, we don't necessarily need another one of those. Right. Um, and so what we've done is we have, uh, taken a look at, uh, some of the, the most, uh, um, well-known, you know, holiday legends like the uh, Yule Cat and Yule Goat and Wild Hunt and, and, and all of these different things and compared them to modern day accounts of, of high strangeness. So um, to give you an example, you know, so you've got the, the Yule Cat, right? And so in uh, Icelandic folklore, the Yule Cat <laughs> is this enormous cat that is as big as a house that goes around 
uh, and, uh, and, and, and goes house to house during the Yuletide season. And it peeks in through your windows. And, uh, you know, if you don't have a, a new sweater, which was usually a sign that you would help with the, the wool harvest, because then you would receive, you know, some kind of wool clothing like a sweater as, as a gift. So if you were missing that, then uh, it would assume that you were lazy and it would eat you. Right. Which is a very cheery holiday tradition. But um, nonetheless, it has persisted, you know, and those are those kinds of, of traditional uh, uh, folk tales and, uh, and legends and things are seeing something of a resurgence now as people uh, become more more interested in, in, in different cultures um, outside of, of those like in their immediate uh, uh, sphere of, of influence. And um, and so when, when I see something like that, I think of um, the fact that people see these sort of phantom big uh, black cats all the time still, right? And I think about how folklore is created and and influenced and uh, and how there might be certain grains of truth, right? And so when I, I think of what might have inspired some some story like that, you know, I mean, uh, think of, of uh, England, for instance, you know, like there are still phantom uh, big cat sightings there fairly regularly. Uh, we have them here uh, in uh, the the U.S. Uh, right here in Wisconsin, in fact, um, all the way you know out to the the, the East Coast uh, fairly regularly. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, lots of different places. And so you think of a, a place like Iceland. Well, you know, there's trading that has uh, been happening between Iceland and the uh, uh, various inhabitants of the uh, British Isles for centuries, right? Centuries and centuries. And so um, wherever human beings go, like their stories are sure to follow. And so could it be that uh, something like the, the Yule Cat might have been inspired by by stories of you know phantom uh, large black cats. I don't know. What I do know is that uh, there are some very uh, uh, well credentialed folklorists who believe that the the Yule cat really was inspired by an actual belief, whether or not that belief. Uh, is representative of in uh, in, in actually existing external uh, uh, phenomenon, or or you know wherever it, it it came from is is one thing. But what is actually pretty likely is that at one time people really may have believed that uh, there was something to this this Yule cat, and it's it's entirely possible too that uh, as stories age they have a tendency to change and 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 to grow right and so with with each retelling you know i i think that this uh this yule cat has grown over the the centuries to the point where it's now as as big as a house but i i don't know that it, it started that big it very well could have started at a much more reasonable size say what people are still reporting across the world today. So um, it's, yeah, like that that kind of, of, of comparison. It's like a game of telephone. It's like a gigantic game of telephone, really. Keeps growing oh, yeah. in size. 
So that will be out, I guess, in time for for Christmas. And I think you said that it'll be out soon after the, uh, the conference. Yeah, unfortunately, it's gonna it'll be out like a week after. Um, it's uh, it's slated to be out on November tenth. So yeah, okay. I mean, like literally one 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 week. It's just really unfortunate timing. Okay. Well, also I would point out you and Josh are both going to be at the conference. Yes. And um, I would point out also to let everybody know, uh, Tobias, you will be sl- you will be speaking um, on Saturday afternoon, three twenty to four twenty. Good spot. Yep. Yes, and I, I will have copies of my uh, other books there, of course. So like the, the Lake Michigan Mothman, High Strangeness in the Midwest, and Strange Tales of the Impossible will will both be there with me. We'll also have copies of uh, the Feminine Macabre uh, uh, journal that uh, that Emily contributed to. Now, she does the, the covers to all of them, but this particular uh, uh edition of that series features in an essay by her um it's actually a pretty interesting uh story i won't get too into it now but um it uh, it involves a sort of forensic analysis of uh an historical uh photograph negative that shows this uh anomalous apparition um in 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 this old theater relatively close to where we we live and and she was never able to explain it but it really goes step by step through her um analysis of this this photograph and its original negative to show that in all likelihood there's no easy prosaic explanation for it so so pretty pretty interesting stuff awesome there's going to be a lot of books of strange realities so everyone bring your knapsacks and yes. uh, get these signed copies. We've got a lot of authors there. Absolutely. I'm I, uh, really looking forward to meeting you in person, Tobias. I think it's going to be great. Um, I'm glad that you're going to be here in Nashville with us, you and Emily both. Um, and guys, if you to come see Tobias and all the other great speakers that we have uh, throughout the weekend, uh, Strange Realities Conference is in Nashville, Tennessee. We have um, our on-site days, which are also online. The whole conference is online. This will be November th- the evening of November 3rd, which is the Friday, and November the 4th, which is the Saturday. And on November 5th, the remember, remember the 5th of November, we will be having the um, online-only portion, which will have six speakers. And so, uh, Tobias, I want to thank you for being uh, coming on with us to do this brief little preview of what you're going to be talking about and uh, being a part of Strange Realities Conference this year. Hey, thanks for, for having me. Uh, this was uh, a lot of fun, and I'm really looking forward to uh, heading down to Nashville. We're awesome. looking forward to having you. And again, guys, strangerealitiesconference.com. That is the website. That is where you can find the tickets that will help you to go see these great speakers like Tobias and, and Joshua Cutchin is also going to be there too. So Joshua Cutchin do the forward to Tobias's new book. Um, he is going to be there as well, finishing up uh, us up on Saturday night. So strangerealitiesconference.com. You can buy tickets, $70 for in person that's in Nashville. And uh, that actually gets you into the whole thing. So you want to be in the Facebook group where you can watch the entire thing at your leisure or at when the time that is streaming. 
and uh, $30 for online only. So, guys, get those online tickets. Those, we want to get those moving. We saw some good movement yesterday on those, and uh, we, want to, we want to see you there in person or in cyberspace. Anything that you want to add, Sergio? Well, just that the sooner everyone get those uh, tickets, even if you're just going online, the better to help us um, pay for costs and compensate our speakers. Absolutely. All right, Tobias, uh, please let everyone know where they can find you um, and all that good information. Sure. So if you are interested in keeping up with us at the Singular Fortean Society, you can go to our website at singularfortean.com or you can look for at Singular Fortean across all social media platforms. So Facebook, Twitter, uh, Tumblr, Instagram, TikTok, we are on everything. So uh, look us up. You can always follow me as well. Uh, I usually go under Singular Tobias. So I'm on just all of the normal stuff that I, I just named. So uh, feel free to follow me if you want. But for all of the, the weirdness that we partake in, the Singular 40 in society is, is definitely going to meet your needs there. All right. All right, Tobias, thank you so much. Remember, guys, strangerrealitiesconference.com. And we will be back uh, next Tuesday with another string of speakers from the conference. We'll see you soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.